um, that's swinging too far the other, other way, where, you know, the church doesn't do evangelism. We leave that to parachurch ministries like crew or, you know, I don't know, evangelism explosion was really big. And, and then just parachurch ministries, that's what they do is they do evangelism. The problem with the first model is that the church itself does not, necessar- does not primarily exist as an outreach tool. It's a community of Christians. We are, the church is a gathered, Christ, gathered body of believers. It's gathered Christians. And it's, the church is designed to model Christ to a watching world. So if we turn Sunday mornings into only an apologetic lecture series, then we're going to wind up, a lot of Christians aren't going to mature. They're not going to grow in the Lord. And you're missing the point of what the gathered church is for. So, like, the way we view church here, which we believe is what the Bible teaches, is that the church is primarily a gathering of Christians, Christian believers. It's not, we're not here in order to, to like I said, it, primarily in order to, um, to reach non-Christians, even though we do believe this is a great place which, uh, for, to bring non-believers, which is what we're going to get to. And then the second model is, um, is not a good idea either because the church is an outreach tool. So it, it's, we don't leave outreach just to the individual. We don't leave it just to parachurch ministries. There is outreach available here at the church. Think of Peter's description of the church in 1 Peter 2.9. He describes the church as a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And the purpose of God's people, Peter goes on to say, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then John 13, 35 on your handout right there, it says, by this, we all, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So this is the love that Christians have between one another among other Christians. And Peter saw this in action in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 47. It says that all who believed were together and had all things in common. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So as Christians... We are called to live our life together in such a way that the world sees the power of the gospel displayed. And so Christians, not just individuals, but as uh, God's Christians, as God's people joined together, bound together in the church, are the clearest picture of, that the world sees of who God is. You know, one of the most powerful examples of this, talking about church history, is that one of the early church fathers named Tertullian. He was a North African who lived between 160 in 225 AD, and he wrote this famous document called Apology, and he wrote it to Roman magistrates. So he's talking about those early uh, first and second uh, first and second century Christians, and he noted this about as a response to the slanderous things that were people were saying about Christians at the time. And he said this about Christians. He said, "We are a body knit together as such by a common." religious profession by unity of discipline and by the bond of a common people. And then he noted how the the reputation of Christians had spread to unbelievers. And he says this, but it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that led many to put a brand upon us. See, they say, how they love one another. And so in that environment, in that early first and second century of Christians, the reputation that they had was they love one another. Look at how they love one another, they would say about those Christian people. Because where congregational love among one another is, it cannot be ignored. 
And that's what we were talking about today, how we love one another, how it's a display of God's goodness through our corporate witness. So there's three things that we're going to be looking at today. The unique power of a congregational witness. Then we'll consider how we can apply that to our life as a church. And finally, we'll end our time today with some thoughts on life together in this church. Uh, before we get started, is there any comments or questions about where we're going or about, about this topic? Okay, well, let's start with Roman numeral two then. How can our life together empower evangelism? We saw from those passages a few minutes ago how our inward unity and love provides the outward power, uh, the outward witness of God's power to, of the gospel. So there's five ways that this can be uh, practically seen here. The first one is, is in John 17, 20 through 23. If you want to turn there, um, or yeah, you can turn there in your Bibles if somebody wants to read it. A congregational witness enables unbelievers to see evidences of God's power that they, they just can't see in our lives as individuals. Can somebody read John 17, 20 to 23? So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So unity in the gospel testifies to, about Christ and his love for his people. And so the impact of your relationships with other people in this church extends beyond just those small circles of friends that you have in this church. In fact, it displays Christ to the world, to the city. Number two, uh, secondly, related to this idea of unity is the power of a congregational witness through Christians' love for one another. What marks us out as Christians is our love for one another. More than uh, preaching and singing, it's, it, what displays and what people remember oftentimes is our love for one another. And this love has manifested itself in good deeds. Can somebody read Matthew 5.16? So according to Jesus, the good deeds of his disciples are the window through which the world will come to see and glorify God. So we should love our neighbors as ourselves. You know, we need to be serving and loving people outside of the church. But what Jesus says is that it's the love for one another that's going to mark us out in this world, how we love one another. Um, number three, Another great advantage of, advantage of evangelism in the context of a congregation is that we help each other witness. And this is where, you know, we um, have different strengths and different weaknesses on our own. You know, um, some of us are more quiet individuals. Some of us are more talkative individuals. Each of us has our own gifts and strengths and backgrounds. But we all, if you are a Christian, you have a story. And you have relationships and you have the ability to communicate. So, we help us out and we help each other out as we witness to other people. It, it's kind of like what I like to think of as like group evangelism in a way where, you know, your paths might cross with other people that are unbelievers. And so an unbeliever, I've heard it said that a, uh, somebody might need, I don't know how you would figure this out, but I've heard it said that a person has to hear the gospel like seven times before they make a decision. Again, who really knows? But we do know that 
the idea behind that is accurate is that a person sometimes has to hear it more than once from a different voice, from a different avenue, from somebody else. So you, as a family member, might be witnessing to your family over and over and over and over again and sharing with them in conversations and praying for them. And then all of a sudden, they hear it once from somebody else and they, they get saved, right? And um, that, that tends to happen. You never know. And it might, it's just how God works sometimes. He uses different avenues. He uses different people to communicate to him. I mean, to communicate to people. And so that it might be um, that you are called to have an initial contact with somebody, but then later down the road, it might be somebody else who shares the gospel with them. And I, I think it's, we, we help one another in that kind of witness environment. I remember as a kid, as a teenager in high school, I had a youth group, and we would pray for our uh, non-Christian friends a lot of times. And um, we would, uh, a lot of times, the, their, the relationships of those people, because we were in the same school and the same community, it was nice because you know that that unbeliever was going to interact with other people who were Christians. You know what I mean? And it was a community where you knew that um, other people were going to have a, a, a relationship with that person. It wasn't just me having a conversation with somebody. They might hear the gospel from somebody else. So as a church, we, we help each other in those kind of witness encounters. Now, again, I don't want to also just say, um, well, you know, I, I, you might know a non-Christian and you might say like, oh, I'm going to bring this person to church so like, that the church, you know, other people in the church can, they can hear the gospel. Or like, I'm going to introduce this person to Alexis because she's always sharing the gospel with people. You know, like, don't just say, think, oh, yeah, as a church, we get to do it. So like, I'm a little nervous about sharing my faith, so I know that Alexis isn't. I'm just going to like put it all on her. And then I'll introduce them, and then later on I'll be like, Alexis, did you share your faith with that person? Because they need to hear the gospel. You know what I mean? Alexis should be like, no, dummy, you should do that. You know what I mean? Like, if you need help, I will help you. I will, maybe we can role play. Maybe we can talk about why you're nervous. You know, we're all nervous. And Lexus could say, I'm nervous too. I just like to talk about it, you know? So, like, don't just, don't use this as an excuse to say, well, it's not my strength, you know? It's not my gifting. So, this is Alexis's job. She's the church evangelist, you know? Because, number four, a corporate witness glorifies God in a unique way. The broader the testimony is to this person, the, the more likely that God is going to be glorified when that person understands things. So in other words, if a person's only hearing the gospel message presented from one person, um, they might think it's just like, well, you know, um, you know, Mike grew up in a church and he's always, you know, he's always been a Christian and that's what they're hearing it actually, I think it glorifies God more whenever a person can talk to Tom and say, like, oh, man, Tom, though, like, uh, he came through a lot, you know, and, and um, he was a hor he's a horrible person, but then God saved him, you know what I mean? Well, and, you know, Mike might be saying to, to, to Joe Schmo, no, I was a horrible person, too. I just happened to come from a different background than Tom did. And then, so, like, let's say you go out to lunch with, after church with somebody, that you invited to church, and then you invite Tom along, and then all of a sudden this person, now he's hearing the story, not just from Mike and not just from Shelly, but also from Tom, and this person can say, oh, okay, God can save people from, from different walks of life, and, and then God is more glorified in that to say, like, it's not just like that God has just, like, one avenue of salvation for a person, but instead 
Isn't it true that we all have our unique stories? Another thing when it comes to sharing our faith is, like, don't think that your story, just because it doesn't sound as good as somebody else's, as good as Tom's, that you shouldn't be sharing your story, right? Because God, it's miraculous, and then God saves anybody. Nobody is good. No, not one. No one is righteous. But then if a person sees that happening, and they see, wow, God saved that person, and that person, and that person, um, I think it might open up their mind to start thinking about how God could save even them as well. Any comments or questions about that? Has anyone ever seen those things played out in real life? Or how, anybody ever seen how it played out where we worked together? Yeah, I, that, that reminds me of two things that I left out. The first thing that you said reminded me of how it holds us accountable as Christians when we realize that it's our group evangelism in our relationships, so it affects how we love one another, right? So like, let's say you go into a small group or go out to lunch or even at church, and a, a lot of people will say, well, man, those Christians, they're like, they, they talk about each other a lot. You know what I mean? And I'm thinking more at the local level, not like the broader evangelical world level. I'm thinking like local level, like if we're always talking bad about each other or if, um, or let's say like it can hurt the witness. We've talked about this before in classes of Christians. Like we can hold one another accountable because we're trying to share our faith with these people. We're trying to pray for these people and witness for non-Christians. Um, and then secondly, um, I forget what I was going to say. What were you going to say, Phil? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's funny because, yeah, that's not what we want, right? Then that would be bad if you don't want to take a non-Christian to church because you're afraid that, of how they're going to be. Yeah. That's a very good point. Don't do that. Um, I know what I was thinking with Tom, your last comment was how Christians talk to one another as well and encourage one another. Um, that's where it goes back to the first part that I said about um, the display of love and unity, A and B. Display of unity among Christians, the display of love among Christians. It's also in how I think our relationships with one another, like we said before, should be markedly different. And so like... Um, it's not just they'll know that we are Christians by our love. We know that's true. It's because of the Bible verse and the song that goes with it. But also because of how we encourage one another and we support one another um, is how we display God's love and unity and the character of Christ to, to one another, even outside of the church. And I do love it, by the way, whenever people come into the church here and then they talk about our church. I've heard it many times, like, wow, like you guys love one another, you guys like one another. And maybe you've been in those churches before, Phil, where it's like, you might go in and be like, do you guys even like each other? <laughs> Much less love each other. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want people to come in and say, wow, this is a cold church. Like, not physically, but like, wow, it's like icy, cold relationships in here. <laughs> I think we just continue to, to well, you love them, right? Yeah. And you continue to evangelize them and to have spiritual conversations with them and all that. 
like uh, you continue to yeah to do those things. Um, but yeah, it's always hard for somebody that who thinks they're already a Christian. And this, that's always, in fact, that's most people. Most people think they're good, right? Sandra? Yeah, it's funny because people like that will, you know, you invite them and they'll come, you know, and people like that, I feel like um, it's so gradual because they stay, they like, oh, this is a nice place. And then they'll come back and then they'll come back and thinking that's the same, right, as where they're used to. And then they'll be like, there's just something different, you know what I mean? And then it was just like, for Mary, it was just like this growth, you know, like, and other people that's been a part of our church too, where it's like all of a sudden they've been coming like every Sunday, all of a sudden they, there's just a, a change, you know, somewhere along the way. And then she wants to be baptized, you know what I mean? It's like, wow, you are a different person is what we, like God saved her somewhere along that path, you know, and I don't know. And she just is like, was just changed by, by the gospel preaching. And by the, you know, by the love of one another. And she was loved in this church, you know. And she knew she was loved. She felt like she was loved. Um, I left off the E. Is One of the nice things, too, about a church is, like, we can cooperate together with other like-minded churches. So, like, one of the things that uh, one of the, we're part of is a group of churches that participates in something they call the cooperative program where um, smaller churches can pool their money to do um, evangelism and church planting around the world and then around the city, around the state, because we can, we can work together to try to spread the gospel through, through establishing other reproducing churches worldwide, and we can do that. We do give to uh, two different organizations. Um, one group is called Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, and one group is called uh, Southern Baptist. I hate... I hate to use that word because they're talking about changing their name and stuff, but because we're not Southern. But it's that we cooperate as far as church planning and missions and that sort of thing with other uh, churches, and that, that's nice to do as, as well as a church on a broader level. And then, so we've been talking about this already, but how can we be a better congregational witness? How do we do that? Well, First, for our love and unity to be visible and real to non-Christians, we need to expose them to life in the church. And so even though the church is a gathering of Christians, first of all, I always assume that there's non-Christians here with us. I never assume that somebody is a Christian. And then secondly, um, we can invite people to church. You know, even though we're, um, you know, we, we're preaching to Christians and we, uh, um, we, like a church is made up of Christians, Invite, invite people to church. Invite non-Christians to church. Um, that reminds me, somebody actually asked me, can we do a friends and family Sunday? And uh, this was before COVID and everything. Like some churches will say uh, in September, there's always this big push from marketing, from Christian marketing, like called back to church Sunday in September. I think it's the middle of September or a friends and family Sunday where like we intentionally have, we intentionally as a group of Christians have a reason to try to invite non-Christians to come to church and we just try to fill the church up. And uh, again, I think that's all great ideas of like inviting people to church and um, so that they can see the love we have for one another. So a couple of points with that is um, one, make a point to talk with people uh, that you don't know after service. Make it a point if there's somebody you see that you haven't seen in a while or somebody that's brand new, try to talk to them after church or before church if somebody comes in. 
Um, I know we want to catch up with one another, people that we already know and have relationships with. Yeah, that's all great. But also try to see, okay, who is new? Who's by themselves? Who's lonely? Go talk to that person and try to introduce yourself and just say, glad you're here. My name's Tom. Glad you're here. You know what I mean? Um, to invite non-Christians to church services or to any kind of activity that we have, a church picnic on Memorial Day, invite somebody to come with you. Um, it's not a church service, but they will see that it's, that it's a diverse, you know, unif- where there's unity and diversity and there's people talking and having fun and, you know, invite people to those kind of things. And um, be strategic too as well. Expose non-Christians to everyday life of a congregation. I think you can invite them to any kind of men's Bible study or ladies' Bible study that we have or a community group that we do, any kind of event of the church, invite them to, um, a lot of times when we've done a baptism, we've seen non-Christians that have come. I think those are all great opportunities. And then um, use any kind of, uh, like I said, any kind of event or we don't do a lot of programmatic stuff here as much as other people, other churches do, but there's still opportunities to invite people I go back every now and then to, like I've said, my experience in youth ministry and youth group. When I was in youth group, many, many hundreds of years ago, when, <laughs> when I was in youth group, and we would sometimes do plan outreach events like a lot of youth groups did, where we do like a special event, like a concert or whatever. Invite, invite your non-Christian friends to this party, and then we'll share the gospel with them. We'll do a little ditty, you know. Um, but we saw more people make decisions for Christ at our Wednesday night Bible study. That's it. Like we, we, it turned into, in fact, our youth group became pretty much just a Bible study. We stopped doing big events because people would come to just a Bible study and all that we would do is we would sing and then we'd have a lesson and that was it. We wouldn't even, we quit doing games altogether. Like we don't want game. We even tell our youth pastor, maybe we were a bunch of nerds when I was in high school. But it was like, we don't need, <laughs> that's, that's true. We don't really need a lot of games and entertainment. Like, let's just study the Bible and um, sing songs together and pray. And, we would, and, not, and non-Christians would come and be like, wow, okay, this is, makes sense. You know what I mean? And people were getting saved back then because of that. And I think the same thing is true. Like, I, I've always said, I know there are some churches even today that, like, will say, we've got to do, like, the biggest rock concert ever and, and then bring people and do, um, we'll share the gospel here. And I'm, I've always been, maybe because, like I said, it goes back to my upbringing and, and my experience as a Christian is like, I think like prayer and, and Bible study and, and scripture and just the relationships, just being normal, just being normal. And, and that's what God uses, I, I think, in a lot of people's lives to, to, to present the gospel and to bring them salvation. I don't know if anybody else has had that kind of experience, just the normal, everyday, you know. Um, we don't need, like, that, uh, who was it? Phil, I think it was Shia Lin had a, a line in one of his songs that said, and this is the broader world, too, we don't need more uh, Christian, we don't need more Christian superheroes, Christian celebrities. We need more gospel-preaching churches. Like, I, I'm, we're done, like, done with Christian celebrities. We don't need them, Right? We need more gospel-preaching churches is what we need. And then for us to talk to non-Christians about our life in the church. You know, a lot of times um, we are, our non-Christian friends, especially our non-Christian coworkers, they're not going to come to church here. And it, you can invite lots and lots of people, and 
you might get disheartened because maybe you have invited people to things at church and they don't come. Or maybe they say they're going to come and they don't come. That's been my experience. Like inviting 100 people and one person might show up if they're not doing anything else on a Sunday morning, right? If they accidentally stumble, you know, come into the, to the church. That's kind of been my experience. Inviting, you can do all you want. But they might talk to you and you might have a conversation with somebody. And I remember a few years ago, um, like, we were doing this, um, Rico Tice has a really, really, really good book on evangelism. Actually, there's like several books on the shelf about evangelism that are all really, really good. And I encourage people to, to pick those up. But um, Rico Tice has a really little book called Honest Evangelism that I really highly recommend. And we did a, a little evangelism training with him, uh, I mean, with a video that he, he put together. And this guy is such a simple guy too. Just simple um, yeah. And what I'm talking about now is like what he recommends and how he role-played this on the video is Monday morning, what did you do this, this weekend? And the person might say, well, you know, I, I moved two tones of gravel and I worked on my yard and I mowed the grass and I did this and this. Uh, well, what did you do this week? And then you could either say, well, um, you know, on Sunday afternoon, we had dinner. Or you could say, like, well, we went to church in the morning, and then we had dinner in the afternoon, and then spend all your time talking about what you did Sunday night. But what I would encourage you to do is to, first of all, start out by saying, well, I st- always start Sunday, the first day of the week, by going and worshiping with my church, because I'm, you know, I'm a mem- member of my church, and that's really important to me. Or even say, oh, a really great thing happened at church. And then you could share something that happened at church if a really great thing happened. <laughs> you know what I mean? You could emphasize whatever you want to emphasize. And then that actually even just not even emphasizing, just saying, well, I started my day by going to church and then from there, and then they might say, huh, what's, well, what's that like? Or you could use that as a conversation piece, just talking about what's important to you. And my prayer is that church would be important to you and that the Holy Spirit would speak to you on a Sunday morning and that you, you would be excited to share about that. If you're excited about it, you can talk about it and people are like, wow, that's really important to that person. You know what I mean? And people are naturally drawn to whatever you are excited about. People are naturally drawn to like what you want to talk about. If you can start a conversation and use it in that direction. The, um, anything, uh, does anybody have any uh, comments or questions or stories about those two things about using the church as a witness or using each other? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing, too. I hope you don't think I'm rude if I interrupt your conversation with somebody and be like, uh, hey, you should talk to this person. You know what I mean? Praise God. Um, yeah, when we talk about evangelism, I think um, one of the things that Rico Tice talks about, oh, here he comes down the aisle. You want to pray? Um. Rico Tice talks about what he calls the pain point, and that is um, when that point in that conversation that you are having with somebody where you're like, okay, it's going to get awkward, because like, it is kind of awkward. The gospel is a, a weird, it is weird, you know? We believe somebody came back from the dead. That's strange. And so it's okay to admit that, you know? Um, or it's like, okay, here's the point where I tell them that they're a sinner. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, I'm a really bad person. They're like, nah, you're a good person. Like, you might be saying, no, like, and, but, and it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to get over that, you know? So 
There are some really useful tools. I like the way of the master, how they say, well, have you ever told a lie? You know, use the Bible itself, you know, and they might, or have you ever taken something that didn't belong to you? You know, um, well, that's lying and that's stealing. That's breaking God's commands. So like the wages of sin is death. And so that's awkward too. So let's just be honest with the awkwardness of it, of it all, you know? And then Rico Tyson says that's the pain point that we need to need to push past. It's like, you, you know you can get past this if you believe it, right? Because it starts with you believing the gospel yourself. If you believe it yourself, then you could, you know, tell them, well, we believe there was a guy named Jesus, and he, you, you've heard of Jesus. Everybody's heard of Jesus, right? But we believe he was actually God in the flesh, but he didn't commit any sins, and he rose from the grave. And that that matters to our own life as well, and our eternal life. And um, that's the awkwardness that you, we pray through, and maybe we practice with one another, and we prepare ourselves for it. And maybe we use something like um, attract, you know? There's, um, when I give away uh, those little welcome folders, there's a, a DVD in there that I like to give to people. And we had 100 of them at one point. There's still a few left. There's like 10 left. It's called The Greatest Question that somebody could pop in a DVD and they could watch. Or you could use a track that you could give to somebody. They used to be really popular, even 100 or 150 years ago. Um, tracks were always really popular where people would pass out tracks to people because a lot of people, um, you know, oh, they might look at it later, you know, or you, and I've heard lots of stories of people that thought that they were poor evangelists and they didn't have anything else to do but maybe give a track. And maybe they felt awkward about doing it too, but that some people have gotten saved later on. In fact, one of the, the worst tracks ever, have you ever heard of chick tracks? Anybody ever heard of chick tracks? They are, they're really bad. They're really, like, as far as, like, you should look them up and see how awkward and, like, just cringeworthy these tracks are that this person created and made millions of these tracks. And they were really popular back in the 80s. That tells you a lot right there. And, um, in fact, uh, they're, they're, you've seen them, Gene? You've seen those tracks before? Um, they're really odd, car. You just you should look them up and stuff. And I listened to a podcast, and um, they were talking about, like, bad evangelism tools, and they all agreed that trick tracks were the worst. You could always find them in um, bathrooms of like, um, you know, uh, gas stations, and like, so dirty bathrooms with dirty trick tracks on there, and you people, they thought, oh, people will pick these up and read them or whatever, and get this, so I listened to this podcast, and there's a, um, a pastor who's about my age, and he said, he's like, you know, um, he's from California, used to ride BMX and stuff, he's like, well, yeah, my dad got saved by reading one of those. And uh, they're like, he's like, they're, all, they're horrible. Um, I would never use them. But I, I never put them down. I never say that they're horrible because my dad picked one up in a gross truck stop and read it and, and prayed to receive Christ and was a Christian his whole life, got saved from one of them. So like, you never know. You might think I'm horrible at uh, sharing the gospel and I don't know what to say. And I stumble, I'm gonna say something wrong. I'm gonna stumble over my words, or even I have this little card. Well, like, you never know. And like, this guy got saved. His son went into Christian music, and then his son uh, became a pastor of a church and has, has raised up other pastors. He's raising his kids to know the Lord, all because of this little thing that's called a chick track that you would never, you would, like, I'd say, like, yeah. And like, people publish these all the time. Um, we, I actually got these in the mail a few um, weeks ago. You can take them and pass them back. 
Like I, I've said before, a helpful tool is, um, is um, what Tom mentioned in the sermon last week, is that God sent Christ's response. Uh, like, God is a holy God. Man is a sinner. Christ has died for our sins. We respond to repenting of our sins and trusting in Jesus. I mean, we should all, if you are a Christian, know the gospel in 20 words or less. And if not, then write it down or use something like this. Um, you know, this leaves out God created you, but God created you, God loves you, Jesus died for you, and salvation is available to you. And again, I've always, um, you know, there was a time when I went through evangelism training and would lead people through prayer, and there's times where I don't lead people and pray their prayer after me. But like I said, it's better to do something than to do nothing, right? And if all you can do is, like, invite somebody to church or say, like, if somebody asks you a question, be like, ah, I don't know, I'm going to ask Shelly. She's got all the answers. And then go and ask her. You know what I mean? And then, like, use our each other and ask each other to pray for one another as we pray for people who don't know the Lord. I mean, this whole class, these last 13 weeks, have been about church unity and have been about God's, the Ephesians 3.20, like we said, the purpose of the church is to display God's glory to a watching world. And, and that's what we want, Ephesians 3.10, his intent that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And so as a church, our responsibility is to guard the good deposit of the gospel message that has been entrusted to you. It says that um, in 2 Timothy 4.3, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. You know, part of our responsibility as a church is to make sure that the gospel is being preached and that we're not part of a, a community of people that just has itching ears that wants to get somebody to speak to them what they want to hear. And so we preserve the gospel message and we love one another. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so this is what we pray for, that we would love one another like this. Love those who are different from you. Love other people through your service and through your prayers and your encouragement and your admonishment. Loving through patience and forbearing with one another, forgiving one another like we've talked about. Love through um, actions, what we do and what we say to one another, how we speak to one another. Love through being together with one another. Love through uh, evangelism, through our talks with one another. Love that promotes unity and strengthens the body. And the most important thing is that it displays God's glory. That's the kind of unity that we want to see in the church so that the church can grow and for God to be glorified. Any final um, questions or comments about evangelism and unity in the church? <laughs> They're busting down the door. <laughs> they got a battering ram. <laughs> Tom, can you close our time in prayer? praying for the church as well and unity in the body and uh, for the service this morning.